to Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come into this place just to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the midst of your people. Lord, we thank you for just bringing us in this morning, for waking us up, and for we thank you for everything you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Praise God. I want to, you know, I want to take a moment to thank all of our uh, volunteers who come every morning. Amen. They come every morning. Some of them at 7:30, 8 o'clock. They're working here hard, and I want to, I want to just thank you guys for your dedication and your work and your commitment to what God's doing in our lives. Amen. We are in our redefining normal series. We've been trying to redefine what's normal in the life of a Christian today versus what the Bible says we should be, amen, versus what scripture says that we should do. In week one, we talked about living a laid down life, laying down your ability to choose. As a Christian, when Jesus says lay down your life, he doesn't mean to necessarily die for him, but he's asking us to live for him. I thought somebody would have been excited. You don't got to die. That's, that's, to me, that's a, that's a one-up. I'm winning already. Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. And so when Jesus, when Jesus says that he desires for us to lay down our lives and pick up our cross, you know, in reality, if, I, I, I talked about a funeral. At the end of someone's life, you reflect on all the choices they've made over their entire life. That's the sum total of their life, all the choices they made. So Jesus says, lay down your life. He's saying, lay down your right to choose and let me choose for you. Let me choose how you're going to treat people, how you're going to act towards people. When we walk in God's will for our lives, we fulfill God's original intention for our life. When you walk in what God desires, you fulfill why God made you instead of why Satan's trying to steal you. In week two, we got a little deeper redefining things. And we, de we defined how we should act in times of hardship. We defined how we should act in times of trial and tribulation. And we spoke about a man named Philip and how during a great persecution, Philip went to a city named Samaria, a place where Jews would not go. And he started a revival for Jesus Christ. The hardships did not drive him away from God. They drove him towards God's purpose. And I would challenge you that when you're going through hard times, the Bible says, the Bible says that we should be joyful in affliction, joyful in tough times. It's not time to wither and die, but it's time to see the greatness of God move in your life. Amen. And last week we spoke about a tough one. If you weren't here, I would challenge you to listen to that podcast on the website, citywidechurch.us. We talked about forgiveness. Jesus states in the Lord's Prayer that we should forgive others as he forgave us. In the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, he talks about forgiveness. I use the example of the Amish schoolhouse shooting just over seven years ago. And how hours after these people's children were murdered, they showed up at the doorstep of the murderer's house and said to his wife and children, We forgive you. We brought you a meal. That's radical forgiveness. Not this, I forgive you, but I'll never go around you again to test the limit of my forgiveness. I'm talking real Jesus Christ forgiveness. And Jesus said, the same way we forgive others, God will forgive us. And I would challenge you, that's a scary thought for a lot of us living with hurts, living with pain. But here in this week, I think it'd be crazy of me not to speak on how we need to redefine what it means for a Christian to have a heart for lost people. To redefine what it means for a Christian to care about the less fortunate, 
to redefine what a Christian cares about lost souls and how you reflect on people. And I have a little video I want to show you, and I want you to keep this thought in mind. How do I look at strangers? How do I look at strangers? This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now, is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked, and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on Uncommon Joy and Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. I want to challenge you with the thought today. Who are you walking by for Jesus Christ? Who are you ignoring? Who are we not seeing? Because of 
our own issues, our own problems. When dealing with the topic of how we should view people who are lost and unfortunate, Jesus talks in Matthew, the ninth chapter, verse 35. And he says this, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad. Your version might say they were helpless. They were as sheep having no shepherd. And then he sent to his disciples, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. We read here in Matthew, a book written by a disciple of Jesus, that Jesus has been going through all these villages and he's healing every sick person and he's healing every diseased individual. Crowds were gathering around Jesus. Everywhere he went, the fame of Jesus was growing like wildfire. Jesus would heal people by the dozens, by the hundreds, and every sick person who came in contact with our Lord and Savior walked away feeling transformed. Imagine that every time he walks into a city or village, thousands would come out to him. They came because of their desire to see Jesus, this self-proclaimed Messiah who forgives sins and exercises great power and authority. I want you to understand something. In the time of Jesus, it was much like we see today. I know you read the Bible and you see miracle after miracle after miracle, but in between most of those miracles were a few hundred years. In the time of Jesus, it was much like now, a spiritually dry time, a place where there was not a lot of happening going on, a place where there was a lot of sick people and not a lot of healing going on. There was a lot of disease and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain, but not a lot of miracles happening. But here came Jesus, this giant, great miracle worker. Constantly healing people. Crowds would gather around him. And the Bible says that Jesus looked on them with compassion. That's a key right there. How do you look at people? When Jesus sees this lost, hurting, broken generation, his first reaction is one of compassion. Webster's Dictionary defines compassion as a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. Amen? It goes on to say it's accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Jesus would look at people with compassion so deep it surpassed feeling bad for someone. It surpassed just feeling sorry for them. It's the past sympathy and empathy and it graduated into action. Are you with me today? Your faith in Christ should draw you to have compassion for less fortunate. That drawing of compassion should make you move on behalf of people. This should be the norm for believers. That we look on hurting people in this world, the emotionally distraught, And have compassion. I would challenge you. It's not enough to feel sorry for someone. It's not enough to feel bad for someone. As 
a believer, you should be motivated into action. That's the Christ that we serve. He was always motivated into action. I don't know if you know this, but there's healing in healing others. Or maybe you came for a word for yourself today, but there's healing in healing others. There's strength in giving strength to others. There's joy in bringing joy to others. Not a proudful joy, but a humbling joy that God would use you, a lowly sinner, to bring joy to the less fortunate. We should look upon single mothers not with a judgmental heart, but with compassion to the point where we offer help. We should look at the poor and the broken, not with judgmental mindsets that they mismanage their finances, but rather help them and show them the principles of stewardship. It's not our job to judge the drug addict or the homeless or wonder why they're doing so bad or sit there and declare that they made this mess. They did this to themselves, but rather to show them godly choices and what godly choices could do for their lives. I would challenge you, you should have a normal view of compassion upon people who are less fortunate. Your heart should be drawn out towards them, not from them. You should see the, the, the homeless as people you need to reach out to, not folks you have to walk away from. I would challenge you that if we're going to live like Christ as a church, there has to rise up a generation who gives a crap, I'll say, you know, I'll try and keep it PG here, about other people. Not this self-serving gospel. Not a gospel that of Jesus that's only suited for me. Spiritual growth for me, but says I want to look at the world and I want to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I want to help people. I want to draw them in for the sake of the gospel. I want to be the one that Jesus uses to heal the sick, to bind the brokenhearted. We must look on people with the eyes of Christ, for in the eyes of Christ, every person is a candidate for salvation. With the eyes of Christ, our false assumptions about others will no longer matter. If you can look on people with the eyes that Jesus sees them with, you won't look at their clothes and wonder why they have clean clothes and they're begging for money. You'll just do the Christ-like thing and help them. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is what our Jesus did. He wasn't a fake Jesus. He wasn't a plastic Jesus. He was a real deal kind of guy who would not just, oh, I feel so bad for them, but he would be moved with compassion to the point of helping. If you read in Matthew 4, 24, it says, So his fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics, and Jesus healed them. He didn't say, oh man, I really feel bad for you guys. I, I hope you find what you're looking for. Here's a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread that I had from the last camp meeting I had. And uh, here's, here's the 12 baskets extra I had. No, he would heal them. He would bring them healing. Matthew 14, 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed the sick. Our Jesus has compassion. Mark 6, 34, when he went ashore, Jesus saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Constantly, Jesus was moved into action because of his compassion towards people. 
Our view on people should be like that of Jesus. I could stand here and tell you how too often we're full of all types of bad views of people, bad opinions of others, but instead I'd rather spend time today telling you that we should be like Christ and measure up to what Jesus would desire for us. This Christian walk is all about one thing, church, and that is mimicking your life after Christ. I could be the best me I could ever be, and yet, if I'm not trying to be who Christ made me to be, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my life. We must look on people with the eyes of Christ. First and foremost, church, we view others as Christ seen. We should see them as Jesus saw them. We should not look at the worst of their lives, but look at that God could bring out the best in them. I don't know about you, but I wasn't the greatest person when I was in the world. I wasn't the best person. But yet it was Christ who brought out the best in me when all I had was bad things in me. I know somebody can testify to the fact that even in your brokenness, God always came to your rescue. And I would challenge you in this day that God wants the church to rise up and heal the problems of our community. It's not up to our mayor. It's not up to the leaders of our community. It's not up to the presidential cabinet. It's up to the church of Jesus Christ to make a decision that says, I want to get off my lazy Christian butt and I want to be what Christ called me to be. I couldn't imagine living a life without purpose, and some of us do it daily. I want to be what Christ has called me to be. I want to look on people with love and not a judgmental heart. The Bible says Jesus had compassion on the crowd because they were harassed and helpless. Scripture tells us this meaning that both physically and spiritually they were helpless. Physically, because so many were sick and demon-possessed. And spiritually, because they had Pharisees who were religious people who held bondage over the people with all types of rules and regulations. And they were helpless as believers. They were helpless as people. I don't know if you realize you have the truth that others need. Jesus referred to them as sheep without a shepherd. They were sheep without a shepherd. This right here reveals the second outlook we should have on people. The first one is to be compassionate. Compassionate to the point of action. The second one is we should view them as people without direction. That's what a shepherd does. Shepherds protect their sheep. The lost in this world need you to protect them. No amen on that because that means you want to actually have to do something for somebody. The church is to protect the lost sheep. We need to look out for them. We need to help them and protect their best interests. We must protect their souls by covering them with prayer and fasting. And yes, we must protect them from others who might hurt them. We are to be like Christ and to follow after his desires. Shepherds guide their sheep. They help them navigate through difficult terrain and sometimes carry them when they're wounded. Christ is calling you to carry some wounded souls. Some wounded people who need Jesus, who need love, who need compassion. Shepherds help these sheep in difficult times. The job of a shepherd is to guide them. Jesus looked on them and declared they have no shepherd. They have no guidance. They have nobody looking out for them. Shepherds guide their sheep. Sheep are guided by the shepherd's voice. It's the job of the church to teach people and guide people to understanding God's voice. 
We have not to only display compassion that spurs us into action, but we should guide people. We should protect people. We should look out for people. We should protect our brothers. For Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me. Amen. We should do it as unto Christ. I saw this video the other day. I couldn't sleep. And I started going on YouTube and I started just YouTubing dumb videos. You know, the ones we watch all day. And uh, there was this one. And it said a, 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 a guy in a wheelchair is getting robbed. And I clicked on it. And there was this ratchet lady fighting with this guy in a wheelchair trying to steal his stuff. And mind you, there's people all around. I'm so sick and tired of the fact that we live in a society that pulling out your camera and taking a video is more important than helping somebody who needs help. What is wrong with us? World star. And you got people screaming for help and shouting for help. And people rather bust out a video camera because that's what this world has come to. And so, and so there's dozens of people all around watching this scene unfold. And finally, another lady comes in and she just like punches this chick right in the face. It was awesome. And they started fighting. Now the lady who was, who was robbing the guy in the wheelchair was kind of winning this fight. So this good Samaritan was getting beat up. But I guess what the lady who was robbing the guy didn't know was good Samaritan had a teenage son with her. And it was the most awesome, epic scene I have ever seen in my life. Now, I don't condone violence, but you can punch somebody who's robbing the guy in a wheelchair. Can I get an amen? Now, all you see is this kid running. He just runs into the camera shot. And he jumps up and does a double leg super drop kick. Straight WWE Rey Mysterio status like... I mean, the heartbreak kid just double-legged, boom. And she goes down. I was just like, this is awesome. Y'all, got, y'all about to go all go YouTube that video after. I just, I know y'all, I got to see this guy drop kick somebody. It's just, it's worth your time. I'm just saying. Now, while that might be funny, there's other times where there's nobody that will help someone. I saw one video where it was kind of tragic and it was kind of gangster at the same time because there was this guy with no arms and no legs in a wheelchair. Anybody seen that video guy, no arms, no legs in a wheelchair in the middle of New York City and somebody stole from him and this guy with no legs and no arms in a wheelchair, he jumps out his wheelchair with no legs. I didn't even know how he jumped out. Just jumped out, started wilding over and tripped this guy in the middle of the street and just hopped on top and started beating with his nubs. And the reason was because nobody would help him and he was crying out for help and yet there was nobody to help him. Are you with me so far? Our job as Christians, and I'm not telling you to get involved in every fight you see. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you have to have a heart of compassion. A heart that says people need my help. People need what I have. People need my help beyond just giving them a meal. 
Beyond just giving them a Jesus loves you. Some folks don't need Jesus loves you. Some folks need to see that Jesus loves them. This past week, we, we teamed up with Kingdom Life Church and we spent the whole week from 9 o'clock in the morning to 1. And some people were there earlier as volunteers and, and we did a kids camp for the kids in PT. Over Yeah, it was awesome. And all those who came out to volunteer, thank you so much. It was it was amazing. And any day you had anywhere from 80 to 100 kids and, and we just loved on them. And I, you know, I like the fact that it wasn't every day preaching Jesus to them. We saved that for the last day. Because sometimes kids don't need to know that Jesus loves them. They need to show people that people who follow Jesus love them. And then they can say, I kind of want to be like that Jesus. I wouldn't mind being like that Jesus. And about 80 to 100 precious kids came out, man. And there was not one fight. There was not one issue. Those kids were amazing. Those kids were great. And all we did as, a, as two churches combined, we just loved on these kids. We just showed them God's love. We gave them breakfast. And some kids said, this is the only meal I'll have all day. One kid, he was, he, he was watching his baby nephew and had another kid with him. And he asked to babysit these kids 16 hours a day. It was three kids, two young girls, and one was even younger. And her mom would tell her to leave at 9 in the morning, give her $15 for the day, and say, don't come back till 5 o'clock. Mom's working at home. I'm talking kids who need the love of Christ. There's people out there who are hurting, who need what we have as believers. To be examples, shining examples of Jesus Christ. Jesus viewed them with compassion as sheep that needed a shepherd. Understand this, everywhere Jesus went, he attracted people who needed help, salvation, and healing. Everywhere Jesus went, he attracted people who needed help. He attracted the hurting, he attracted the broken, he attracted the wounded, he attracted those who needed healing, those who were sinners, those who were lost. Jesus was talked about because every time you saw him in scripture, he was hanging out with sinners. He was hanging out with tax collectors. He was hanging out with prostitutes. He was, he was giving a forgiveness and grace to the adulterous woman. And all throughout scripture, you see Jesus not with the churchy people. You see Jesus with the sinners who needed him the most. You see him with the people who needed God the most. You might say to yourself that, hey, pastor, why should I reach the person who I might never see again? The person walking down the street, the person who I saw at PT this week. It was just a week. Well, I might never see them again. Why should I reach out to them? I would challenge you. It was for the first thing you said, because you might never see them again. You might never see the people again that God's calling you to look after. You might never see the people again that God's calling you to reach out to. I would challenge you that every day there is someone God has ordained for you to share the gospel with. I think I heard one amen somewhere in the back over there. And that's all right. I challenge you that every day there is someone God ordains for you to reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Christian should do. I remember about, I think it was about two years ago. About two years ago, I was asked to pray over this business. And, and I don't really do that kind of stuff. I think that if you are 
you know, a godly person and storage your business right, it's going to succeed. But this person wasn't really saved, so they, they needed all the prayer they can get, they said. And so my, my friend calls me up, and he was an associate pastor, and he said, well, you're a senior pastor, Lewis. You should go, because I'm only an associate pastor. That was his cop-out. And so after a while, I was like, I'll go, whatever. And so I go to this new cell phone shop, and you know cell phone shops open and close in Bridgeport. Boost Mobile can only give you so many customers. And so I, I go, and I'm, I'm over there, and I pray over the shop, and, and there was a lady inside whose son had just been murdered, and I was able to pray with her. I was able to reach out to her. I, I knew I would never see this woman again, probably. And as I was leaving, I said, you know what, man? That must have been God having me go to that shop. And I had a God moment in that shop because I was praying for that woman who I knew I would never see again. And as I walked out, there was these two people in this car beeping a horn at me. And, you know, I know I'm a good-looking guy. You know, it's, it's, I get it all the time. People beep at me all the time. And that's a joke for some of y'all. So he's so conceited. I'm just playing a little bit. <clears throat> and so I'm walking, and I'm just, I started doing my J-Lo walk when they started beeping the horn. I meant my Mark Anthony walk. My fault. I'm sorry. Whew. And so I, I, I finally, I look over because it got distracting. I look over, and there's this girl that I kind of had just met recently. She had come visit the church, and she was in the, in the car with another girl over there by Price Right, by that Chase Bank right there. And I was just trying to get to my car. It was freezing cold. I wasn't trying to sit there and talk to nobody. And I looked in this car, and I saw these two young ladies. And so I said, well, let me just talk to them really quick. They're beeping their horn. They must know me. It happens to me all the time. People see you in the stop and stop a shop or shop right. Hey, pastor. And I got to pretend I know you. Hey, hey, good to see you. I went to my karate class the other day and there was this, this guy there and, and I'm getting ready to you know, do my karate. Hi-ya, you know, all that cool stuff. Had my gi on. No, I, I didn't have my gi on yet. And I, I, I was just sitting there and, and, and. And he says to me, he looks at me, he looked at me funny. And, you know, you know, somebody looks at you funny, you have two choices. Smile or be like. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all might get into a car accident because you want to break eye contact with someone who looked at you wrong. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All those laughing, I feel so convicted. And so I, I, this gentleman just says to me, you're that pastor from Citywide. I'm like, whew, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I thought we were at the spa or something. I just thought you were challenging my white belt. <laughs> it's not worth anything. It's like the first one they give you, like. But you never might know the impression you might have on somebody. And so here I am at this car with these two young ladies and I lean in the window and there was this girl in there and the other girl that I kind of knew and this girl that I didn't know. And I didn't preach to her. I didn't talk to her about Jesus. I made fun of her for the next 45 minutes. I made fun of her green pants. I made fun of her hair. I made fun of her. Should we just not like really making fun of her, just joking on each other, Carla? I love you. It was Carla. It was Carla. On a cold day, spent 45 minutes and I ended it saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And she knows she said, you ain't no pastor. <laughs> church and sure enough Sunday she came and because of 45 minutes I spent with her she never left 
I looked on her with compassion because I knew that her heart had a need. I saw it within her even just this past week or two weeks ago as she said at her mom's funeral, God was preparing her for that time and we were able to help her through that whole process because I chose to spend just a few minutes with someone who I didn't know in order to reach them for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I didn't preach to them. I didn't talk to her about Jesus. I didn't tell her she was going to hell. I just showed her how happy I was because God was in me. And how funny he made me and how ugly her pants were. Because nobody buys booger green pants anymore. I told her she had woke up and drank a bottle of I don't care. And remember that, Carla? Good times. Maybe that's not how God will choose for you to minister with somebody, but yet I would challenge you. There's people God wants you to reach. You might be walking by people that you're supposed to reflect Christ upon, but because you're so tied up in your own hurts, in your own pains, you don't look on them with compassion. You don't look on them with what they need, and what they need is for you to show them that Jesus is love. It is unlikely that you'll leave church today and witness to a disabled man being robbed. It's unlikely you'll probably find someone to drop kick this week. It's unlikely you might spend somewhere in a cold 45 minutes talking to somebody. But what is likely is that you're going to find people throughout your path that God has littered for you to reach for Jesus Christ. We saw that video earlier and realized that there was no pivotal moment or climax in this video. There was no ex you know, ex exciting plot to this video. The whole plot to the video was that someone living a normal life for Jesus, sharing their own faith for Jesus, impacted someone amazingly for God. That's the point. That you don't have to go out there. We should redefine evangelism because sometimes evangelism is not standing on the corner proclaiming that everybody's going to hell. Maybe it's living your life declaring, I'm going to heaven. Because I have a Savior that loves me. I have a God that cares about me. I have someone who did everything for me. We see in this video this woman named Kim, who was just a regular college student who used her everyday life and relational influence to impact her roommates, Lisa. While it was normal for every college person to experiment and to lose Jesus in college, she was dedicated to her faith and she impacted Lisa and Lisa moved on in life and she got her first job out of college and she was able to encourage a co-worker going through a difficult time. You don't realize the people you're impacting for Christ. You don't realize the people God's calling you to reach. It's not about that big climactic moment. It's about being steady in your Christian faith. Ain't nothing like a person who one day posting about Christ, the next day you're posting about things you're doing in the world. How hypocritical are we? People are drawn to authentic Christians, and authentic Christians, they have a consistency with Christ. People are drawn to consistent Christians, and you always see that inconsistent Christians are drawn to each other. Like my pastor taught me, your weaknesses will always hunt an association. He's called us to be drawn to him, to have an impact in people's lives. Lisa, this girl in this video, she shined for Christ and 
She touched a man named Thomas, and Thomas would become a public speaker. You saw the video. He would speak encouraging things, and, and Thomas would then reach James, and James would then reach Nick, and Nick would get saved, a person who was completely lost because of a commitment that Ken made to Christ, and yet nobody ever knew Ken in the entire process. I would challenge you, who are you missing to see for Christ? Who are you missing? You could impact someone in a small way that could have a great meaning, but yet we get fixated on the big thing. Oh, God, use me. God, use me. I want to preach. I want to do this in God's. I ain't called you to preach. I ain't called you to teach. I called you to talk to this person because they might be the next Billy Graham. I've called you to reach that person. I called you to reach that person. I want to, here's a secret for you. God has not called everyone to be a spotlight Christian. God's called some of you to be like the person working in the background, helping people out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of these people in that video took what they had, whether good or bad, whether a lot or a little, it impacted those around them. They used their everyday Christian life, their everyday faith to make a big impact in a small way. Who do you walk past every day whose life could be changed forever simply by receiving a glimpse of hope? Most people spend more time at work than home who sits around you every day that could be dying spiritually or physically to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and his plan of redemption for all. The problem is sometimes we get so familiar with work that we don't care about the people at work because some of them just rub us the wrong way. But I would challenge you that each person at your job, whether you like them or not, they're a soul. And if you dislike them, you might find that Christ might treat you the same exact way. Because the Bible says if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. And maybe you might say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus, pastor, but I just don't want to talk to nobody. Then I would challenge you that the condition of your heart is decrepit. I don't know about you, but I, I, I'm to the point where I kind of hate my Facebook. But the only reason I, I still have it is because every day I can put one post and reach over 2,000 of my friends. 1,597 of which I don't know. We all got hundreds of friends we don't know on Facebook. I would challenge you that 87% of our, our website traffic comes directly from me putting a link on Facebook and people sharing it. You don't know what you, what you can do for people. We got members right now in this church who came simply because of a Facebook request. We got people who heard a CD or heard a track and somebody said, hey, listen to this. And they shared Jesus with them. My brother Michael's here right here because one day we walked the streets and we gave him a track. And a couple years later, he listened to it and found his way into this place. I would challenge you. You can have a great impact in a small capacity. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology. You don't have to have schooling for Jesus. All you have to have is compassion for people. Love for people. How many strangers do we pass on a daily basis when we should reflect Jesus? How many times are we failing to invite people to church because we don't want to impress our Jesus on them? And I would challenge you every time you do that, you reject the gospel for them. I want to challenge you as an individual, as a Christian, that we should redefine what it means to care about others. That you don't just talk about all the problems in this world, but we begin to help people. We begin to move into action. It's not about what you do or don't have, it's about who you serve. 
Do not underestimate the power of a submitted heart made available for God's purpose. Do not underestimate what Christ can do through you. Do not underestimate what God can do in your life. Do not underestimate the cleansing God can bring. Do not underestimate the healing that Jesus can bring into your life. Don't underestimate what God can do through you. If God can use a donkey, he can use you. If God can use Paul, who was a mass murderer known as Saul, he can use you. If you would make yourself available to him. Not just in word, but in action. In action. That's the Jesus that we serve. It should be normal for you to look on people with compassion and make an impact in their life. And I would challenge you a great deal of the time. The reason we don't is twofold. One, some of us just aren't who we say we are in Christ. And we have a ton of issues. And it makes you feel unworthy to be able to reach out to others. It makes you feel like you're not in a place to reach out to others because of what you're going through. But yet I would challenge you that the reason you're going through it and still here serving God is what qualifies you in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. The fact that you have not given up, the fact that you are still pressing forward, the fact that God is still working in you, the fact that God is still using you. That's why God wants to use you. And the second part is, I feel like some of you are just scared that God doesn't want to use you. That you don't have the words to say. You don't have the proper education. But God says that he can use you no matter what. God desires to speak for you. God desires to be able to say, hey, my servant so-and-so, they led 30 people to Christ. You don't know who you're reaching for Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. Is that I constantly think of this one story in my life. And that's the story of my dad. The fact of the matter is this, most of you never met my dad, you never will. He's gone to be with the Lord, but yet in the midst of him being here, he struggled with a, with a five-member church, a 10-member church, a 20-member church. My band is bigger than my dad's church was. But he stuck with it because he knew that God had a purpose for his life. He lived a poor life. He lived struggling week to week, day to day. He lived a very excruciating life. He lived in constant pain, in constant rejection by men. As a pastor, you can't come into this without tough skin. People are going to reject you one day, love you the next. I'll be the flavor of the month this week. Next week, you're going to hate me. And I come to okay with that. And my dad lived 25 plus years of this life. At times he felt like giving up, and yet every time he felt like giving up, God would say no. There was one time he felt like giving up. He was going to close down the little church he had. He had pretty much lost his building. He had lost everything. He was in a dark place, and he went to Times Spirit Church with Pastor David Wilkerson. We, I remember that day, it was yesterday. We sat in the back row, me, my dad, my mom, and I think we had a sibling there with me. And we drove up and all the way to Times Spirit Church, and my dad needed a word that day. And right before Pastor Wilkerson preached, if you know him, he's a great prophet of God. He's gone to be with the Lord, one of the greatest prophets of our time. And he said, there's a pastor here from Connecticut and God has a word for you. And of course, the first pastor from Connecticut got up and ran to the front and Pastor Wilkinson said, it's not you. Next one went up and it's not you. And my dad said, oh crap, God's calling me. He looked at my mom and my mom said, you better go. You better go. And he walked up there and he said, don't give up. Now is not the time to grow weary. 
And my father next Sunday was back in his pulpit preaching to his 10 people. And his pulpit was in his house because he had lost his building. The city had stolen it with all the stuff inside of it. Our sound system was one little speaker, a $200 keyboard. Sunday school was in the kitchen if we had it that week. Praise and worship practice was in my dining room. I have a joke because I was homeschooled. I had church, home, and school in the same place. I was screwed. I was never going out, never got out. I saw my dad go through hell and high water for people who would walk out on him time and time again. And yet, now, because of a man you would never see, we're over 250 strong. We have a great band. We have probably the best sound system we can buy. God's blessed us so tremendously. God's moving in a mighty way. And some people seem to forget what God has done. But I can't forget where I came from. I can't forget what God has done. Because one man, one man stood in the gap for a nation, for a city of people who would not know him. You never know his name. You'll never see his face. You'll never hear his voice. But yet he stood in the gap for you when you were not even here yet. And it was because of him, because of his I'm reaping a harvest I did not sow. I'm 
I'm reaping a harvest I did not sow, but yet my family paid. We paid a high price, and yet now I live in the grace of God. I am blessed by God. Sometimes I say, God, it's not fear. I'm getting everything my dad should have had. But God says, no, this is the way I planned it. For him to sow seed and for you and your brother to reap a harvest. I came to serve notice to the devil today. And I'm not even kidding with you. To put Bridgeport on notice that in the next couple of months we would never be the same. Because there's going to be a church rising up who cares about lost people. Who cares about those who are less fortunate. It's time that we got back to the days of real faith when my father would bring a prostitute to the house to be able to break her heroin habit on my couch and he would bring in the people who hurt him. He would bring in the crackheads and the drunkards and they would sleep in our house and he would feed them and he would clothe them. He would put the people first. He had eyes of compassion, eyes of compassion. He forgave everyone. He held grudges against no one. And I'm not trying to make him sound so great, but he was pretty awesome. He, he built all of this. He built all of this. And just like Nate or Nick in the video, you're here because of a person you'll never meet. You're here because of a person you're never going to see. But my question is, who can come in here? Who can come to Christ that you might never see? That you impacted through somebody else who impacted someone else? For Jesus Christ. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. I've not lost focus of who I am. I haven't lost focus of who God's made me to be. Some may think so, but I've not lost focus of God. I know who I am. I'm a nobody. I am a nobody. Like they say, I'm a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I want to tell the world about Jesus Christ. That's why he called me. That's why I was born to declare the greatness of God.